Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. I'll be reading Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. (coughs) Blessed is the reading of God's holy, eternal, inspired, and infallible Word through the Apostle Paul. Father, I ask for Your desperately needed help to be faithful to the text. That I see it clearly. That I unfold it, state it, teach it clearly. Oh, and we beg that Your Holy Spirit move in our midst so that we be people who don't grow weary of walking by the Spirit. Who don't grow weary of being led by the Spirit. Who don't grow weary of sowing to the Spirit. For eternal life is held in the balance as the evidence of those who were bought by Christ. You were good. And so, in this, now, we commit our time to You and to Your work. In Jesus' name. (coughs) Amen. So, in your Christian life, whether it's been short or decades long, Do you ever grow weary? Do you ever weary of battling your flesh, your sinful disposition? As Paul said, the Holy Spirit in you is warring against the desires of your flesh. Do you ever grow weary of being a good, faithful, repentant husband or wife? Do you ever weary of laying up treasures in heaven? Instead of your culture around you that's laying up treasures of fun and stuff on earth. If that's you, then this passage is for you. The bottom line of what we read here in verses 6 to 10 is believer, don't grow weary of fighting your selfishness, your sin. Nature. Or to say it this way, this is the whole context from chapter 5 and what he's doing here. Don't grow weary in your pursuit of bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul lays out this motivation for that exhortation. Because if you don't grow weary, you're going to reap a harvest if you keep on keeping on. See, the daily Christian life is a life of worship. It's worshiping God in life. In all things. It's a life of the Word of God changing and convicting and molding us. It's a life of loving and caring for other people. It's a life of service. It's a life of that internal battle against your flesh, your sinful nature. It's a life of raising kids, doing marriage, living as the body 
of Christ. That's Christianity. It's what our church covenant here at Sovereign Grace Fellowship lays out. That we say, yes, I belong to Christ and I belong in this community. This is my covenant. As as I just grab a couple lines from our church covenant. We will together walk in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church. We will exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will live carefully in this world. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry the expenses of the church and the spread of the Gospel through all nations. So just that's the Christian life. And our passage here is clear. Paul says, don't tire of it. Don't grow weary in walking by the Holy Spirit. Don't grow weary of spending your life on loving others. Because if you do grow weary, then it would mean that the desires of your flesh are taking control of your life. And if that happens to such an extent that you start walking a lifestyle of pattern after the flesh, Paul has already said in chapter 5, verse 21, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Or as he says in our passage here in verse 8, you will not reap eternal life, but instead, corruption. Paul says, eternal life is at stake in not becoming weary. In forsaking the doing of good, the stakes are high. So if you're there, chapter 6, Galatians, let's slowly look at it. But first, I want want to point you to verses 8 and 9. And to just slowly read it and just be an active reader. Follow Paul's thought from verse 8 to verse 9. For the one who sows, okay, he uses the farmer analogy. You sow seeds, they plant, you don't see anything. You water, you water, you water. Months go by, stuff starts to come up, and it grows and grows and grows until harvest, okay? For the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And now lots the connection. And so, let us not grow weary of doing good. Because in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Why does Paul say that? Why does God have texts in the New Testament like this? The reason Paul writes it is in order to help the Galatian Christians inherit at the end time final Salvation. Eternal life. That's why He writes it. That's why preaching and teaching in the life of the church have the same goal week after week after week after week. The stakes are high. 
for Christians. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13-16 saying this, Timothy, he's a pastor, he's a teacher. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things, Timothy. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this because by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thirty-five years as a Christian has taught me that not many American evangelical Christians believe what I just read. Either in 1 Timothy or in Galatians 6. They don't believe eternal life is at stake in the Christian life. So many think that final salvation at the second coming has nothing to do with their daily life down here of not growing weary of walking by the Spirit. They don't say it out loud, but there's an old saying which is so true. Just watch what people do. Because you know the old saying? Your actions speak louder than your words. And so what the actions of so many of His church-going people say is this. Paul is wrong. We're safe. We're safe for eternal life whether we reject Paul's admonition here in Galatians 6 or not. I'm safe. And so I'm faced with a challenge as a pastor, as a teacher, of how should I speak to you today? Shall I speak with you with the same kinds of words and the same tone as Paul spoke to the churches of Galatia? Or should I know better, take popular American evangelicalism, Feed this text through it and then speak to you that way. I want you to look at it again, verses 8 and 9, and just decide for yourself. I mean, is it not true that in a clear reading of the text that Paul's saying here, the reaping of corruption, okay, there's a harvest going to come in after sowing, the reaping of corruption, corruption in verse 8, is that not the final consequences of sin? And in the context, the opposite of reaping eternal life. The resurrection. And according to Paul here, in these verses, are not those two, reaping corruption or reaping eternal life, are they not in this text connected to whether one is on the pathway of sowing to the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit as opposed to sowing to the flesh. Well, I think you know my answer and that's why what I'm going to do is stick to the plain meaning of the text and believe what Paul is doing throughout his ministry and therefore is our model as we take him and preach what he has said, is that the preaching of texts like these is the means through which God has appointed that the elect, the chosen, His children, the ones whom He has called to Himself, will make it to final salvation every single one of them. Sowing to the Spirit. 
is what God has ordained as opposed to sowing to the flesh to reap eternal life. And Christ purchased it all. See, how can I be faithful to, to this passage this morning? It's the next passage we run into and not tell you that if you grow weary in walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and instead you turn to a lifestyle of walking by or sowing to the flesh, you will reap corruption, not eternal life. Now, I teach those who through inductive Bible study, so how to model how to read Scripture, okay, you stick with the immediate text first. You just, what does it say? And then, okay, sometimes you come up, can it mean that? Is it borne out anywhere else in Scripture? And this is borne out everywhere in the New Testament. It's a taste. The Hebrew writer says to us in Hebrews 12, Church, strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness put in there, the fruit of the Spirit. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Or 1 John verses 1, 6-7. The Apostle John tells us, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, works of the flesh, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, sowing to the Spirit, as He, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood. Okay. Are we recording? Okay. Okay, let me find myself. In first John one six to seven, I'm gonna backtrack. He writes, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the stakes are high. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. We must not grow weary in well-doing. In walking by... The Holy Spirit from chapter 5 into our passage now. And we must not grow weary in walking by the Holy Spirit generally. And we must not grow weary in what He says in our text. Specifically in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the Word, share all good things with the One who teaches. Paul is not saying there, when you get some really good nugget from a teaching or from a sermon, go tell the teacher that good thing. Share it with him. It's not his point. Every commentator, every scholar looking at this text knows 
that Paul means here by let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. He means support financially Christian teachers so that they can be freed up for prayer and study and teaching and do it well. Like the principle that we saw in or see in Acts chapter 6 when the apostles say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God in order to busy ourselves with these other things. Let's have others get this done. So, here's the picture of Paul and Barnabas planning churches that I derive from the New Testament. And what was happening that that elicits what he says now here in chapter 6 to the churches of Galatia. Paul and Barnabas and their team go on a missionary journey to the region of Galatia and they plant churches throughout all these differing cities of Galatia. They come back through the cities again. You know, sometimes they got kicked out and Jews chased them out, etc. And they come back in. But before that whole two to two and a half year missionary journey is done, they have appointed elders in all the churches. And in those churches, some of the elders were skilled teachers who had ongoing ministries of the Word to the churches. And Paul taught them that they should be freed up in order to do their job well. And you free them up by paying them. Paul taught them. He would open the Scripture as he always did. He would say, this, what we call Old Testament, is written for us believers in Jesus Christ upon whom the ends of the world have come. And he'd go to the temple. He would go to the offerings. He would tell the people, you see God's people there? Now you're the true Israel. And he'd teach them how this worked. So he would teach text like Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? And God answers, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby test me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So Paul taught them that the ministry in the Old Testament of the Levites of the priest, of the temple as a whole was supported by the people bringing in the whole tithe to the storehouse. And now here he is. He's writing the letter to Galatians. He's dealing with this big, huge theological problem, but towards the end of chapter 6 now, he feels it necessary to address this ongoing doing good of financing the local church's ministry of the Word. Now, for a moment I want to quote from one uh, major scholar, uh, scholarly work, not a lay work, Richard Longenecker uh, on Galatians. He writes, This term, all good things, cannot be understood apart from material sustenance and probably more directly financial support. Certain inferences seem able to be legitimately made. Number one, the formal Christian instruction was going on in the churches of Galatia. Two, 
that teachers were called as a class. It's the term ha-katekon. You hear the word catechism? That's where we get the word. The, the teachers are a class. Number three, that the content of what was instructed and learned was the Christian message. Four, the Christian teaching was then a full-time or at least a heavily time-consuming occupation that deserved material or financial compensation. Five, that for some reason, Christian teachers were not being adequately compensated materially in some or all the churches of Galatia. And six, that Paul thought it incumbent on those who received instruction to take the initiative to rectify this wrong. End quote. Teaching of the Word, this is the summary of what's happened, is extremely crucial in the life of the church. And therefore, teachers are to be freed up in order to do their job well. And therefore, Paul says to the Galatians, make sure you honor God. Make sure you honor His Word by financial support. Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches And now in verse 7, Paul reinforces the command. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He's saying, people who do not want to share their resources with the teachers here in Galatia, are deceived. And in effect, they're mocking God. Literally means turning their nose up at God. So by mocking God in this passage, He is saying that God and His Word through the community teaching of that Word is being treated as valueless. When His teachers, when His preachers are treated is not so important. Okay, I want you to listen now and see as you read along with me verses 6 to 10 and see and hear the connection between verse 6 and verses 7 to 10. Because I think they're directly connected that he's not changing subjects in verse 7. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I think Dr. James Boyce, in his commentary on Galatians, I think he's right when he writes concerning this passage the following, quote, Some commentators hesitate to relate this entire section to the use of money, Believing that verses 7 to 9 cannot be written primarily of material things. But while it is true that the section as a whole goes beyond the use of money, nevertheless, at least 
three factors indicate that Paul was thinking primarily of money as he wrote verses 7 to 9. First, although verses 7 to 9 expand on the theme of verse 6 in general ways, when he gets back to verse 10, that phrase, do good to all, is most certainly a euphemism for giving. This indicates that a concern for financial matters never entirely leaves Paul's mind from verses 6 to 10. Second, he goes on, verse 7 is a proverb, sowing, reaping, It's a proverb Paul used on at least one other, there's at least two other occasions actually, to encourage generous giving. For instance, 2 Corinthians 9. The presumption is that giving is also uppermost in his mind here. And finally, we have the fact that Giving is important to Paul at this time, even apart from the situation in Galatia, for the collection for the Jerusalem poor that he mentioned back in chapter 2 was part of his policy and the admonition to proceed with the collection is fresh in his mind as a result of that Jerusalem council. End quote. And so, in our text, Paul says, you will reap what you sow. If you treat the Word of God with scorn by not supporting the ministry of the Word, then you will deeply regret it. He says, don't be deceived by indulging the flesh in despising the Word of God preached in the church. It will come back upon you. And that agricultural metaphor that he uses here of seed time and harvest, it's common in Paul's writings when he's dealing with money. So, for instance, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9... Five to seven. I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift. Here he means all the money he's raising from the Gentile churches to bring it to the Jewish church in Judea, which is really getting hammered economically. So that's what he's been doing in his ministry. He just wants it done and ready to go. He said, why does he want, it, want what to happen? So that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction, that you'd be happy to do it. Is what he says. So next verse, he goes on to say, watch him. The point is this, and here he goes with his metaphor. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9, 11-14, Paul writes, If we have sown, here's his metaphor, if we have sown seed, Sown spiritual things, he means teaching. If we have sown spiritual things among you, Corinthians, is it too much if we reap a paycheck or material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we... Even more, I planted you. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. 
Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service, so there he goes using the Old Testament temple service, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the Gospel should get their living by the Gospel. And Boyce, Dr. Boyce, James Boyce, comments on this, saying this. Paul's policy was apparently to preach the Gospel without receiving money, preferring to earn his living as a tent maker. But this was in pioneer work. As soon as possible, he seems to have established a more fixed structure. And so here in Galatians 6, as elsewhere, he indicates that a workman is worthy of his pay. And so there's Paul. He's got a Jesus quote early on when he says, in the same way, the Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. And one place that we know that it later got written down of Jesus' quote is Luke chapter 10, verses 4 to 7. When he was sending out the 72 disciples, he says to them, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. So later on, Paul writes to Timothy about the establishment of local churches. And he says to him, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So he quotes Moses. And then, and he says this, watch this. And the laborer deserves his wages. He quotes Jesus again. So, back to Galatians 6. He writes in verses 6 and 7, Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So, when Paul's writing this letter, he felt the need to exhort the believers, don't mock God in this matter of financial support of the most valuable commodity in all the universe. The Word of God. Now, I find John Piper's reflection on this passage in Galatians 6 to be insightful. So I commend it to you when he writes, Evidently, the people who did not want to share their goods with the teachers in the churches they had fallen prey to some deception and were in effect mocking God by their action. Maybe they were saying, for freedom Christ set us free. You people that deny yourselves good things and pay to hear the Word of God, you're acting like Old Testament legalists. Piper continues, So in the name of freedom, they had begun to indulge the flesh 
contrary to the warning back in chapter 5, verse 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And even worse, they were treating the Word of God with contempt. God is mocked when His messengers are treated with scorn. End quote. So in this text, Paul is saying that the opposite of mocking God in His Word is honoring God, honoring His Word by taking money that we all could have spent on better food, on better clothing, on better vacations, better cars, more security, more comfort, more fun, more entertainment, and systematically give it to the support of the ministry of the Word. But, he goes on to say, if you're deceived and you think that you're going to derive more happiness from what comes by spending what would have gone that Biblical principle of first fruits percentage of the top. And I'll be more happy if I spend it on my own bills and my own temporal pleasures. He says, you mock God. You sow to the flesh. And you will reap what you sow. What's at stake in our attitude? to the teaching of God's Word and our sowing to the Holy Spirit by bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in using our resources to support that Word. What's at stake is verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then verse 9 draws the conclusion. And so, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, like most of the time as I preach through Paul and Jesus, I've got to make sure I clarify again here. Paul is not teaching salvation by works. By what you do, the cause, you get saved. Paul has been violently preaching through this letter utterly against the idea that you're saved by means of what you do called works of the law. He has made it crystal clear that salvation is by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Like chapter 5 verse 6 Where he said, the only thing that matters is not works of the law. That mentality towards God. But what matters, the only thing is faith. Which works itself out in love. The doing good that Paul talks about here. The doing good that we're not to grow weary of in the Christian life is the fruit of faith. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the evidence of true conversion. It's happened. And Paul has been showing throughout chapter 5 and 6 that that evidence is that there is an ongoing internal battle of the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the Holy Spirit. It works itself out in its love for Jesus and love for His Word. See, this sowing to the Spirit that Paul says, you sow, you shall reap eternal life, it's not works in order to get saved. 
It's the evidence. It's what he said in Romans 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, look at them. These are the sons of God. You've got to be very careful. It's like saying, all the babies over at Torrance Memorial today that are crying have been born. Okay, No one thinks there that, oh, I get it. Their crying caused them to be born. You don't think that. It's the evidence. If they're not born yet, they're still there in the canal, you don't hear them. It's the evidence. And so Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit, you're sowing the Spirit, you're walking by the Spirit, it's the evidence. You're born. Keep going. Don't grow weary in it. Alright. So, one more quote from James Boyce. He writes, It is difficult to speculate on why Paul places such emphasis on the use of money, devoting five verses to it. And then he offers this, quote, But the following are possibilities. One, the subject of money may have been high on Paul's list of priorities in dealing with any church. Certainly, the lengthy discussions about money in the Corinthian letters written around the same time suggest it. And secondly, being aware that the use of money is an excellent indication of the priorities held by anybody, Paul may simply have seized upon this subject as a way of sharpening the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit that He made earlier. Or like Jesus, when He so often alluded to money and things and goods, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Because Jesus knew the, the closest analogy to what we really look to when it compares with God is money. It was His major telltale sign. And so one final answer then to, to why Paul would put the stakes so high concerning money and giving comes from John Piper. And I write, I mean, excuse me, and I quote, We are converted when we hear the gospel and are moved to forsake our sin and put our faith in Christ for forgiveness and begin to walk by faith in His promise and power. There are attitudes toward money and toward the teaching of God's Word which cannot continue to coexist with true saving faith in the all-sufficiency of Christ. That's why Paul can say that even though salvation is by grace through faith, yet, there are attitudes and actions which can destroy you. He continues, When you get your paycheck, do you look to the Spirit for how to turn this money to best advantage for God's kingdom? Or do you invest it in the field of the flesh for your own private use? Sowing to the Spirit means supporting pastors and teachers and missionaries with your money. There is more writing in that little white envelope on Sunday morning than you realize. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap eternal life 
if we do not faint. End quote. So let me just encourage you and me, Sovereign Grace, as we continue in our earthly journey. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in trusting God's Word, in supporting God's Word. In short, don't grow tired in worshiping God in all things above the desires of the flesh. Because I promise you, because Jesus laid His life down for the promise. You will reap eternal life as we persevere to the glory of His name. Let's pray. Father, You are good. It is our great joy to have been purchased by the blood of Your Son. And to no longer belong to ourselves, but to another. It is our great joy to be radically dependent upon You. You are our all. May You teach us in all things from money to time, to life to gifts, in all these things to be utterly and recklessly sold out to the Word of God, the Gospel of our salvation and of the salvation of those who are now lost and in the kingdom of darkness. We thank You, Father, for such a great and a joyful pursuit by Your Spirit of Your Son in this life.